All right. Well, it's good to see each one of you here tonight. Saturday night. They used to call Saturday night the devil's night, you know. And uh, the old-time revivals, they skipped Saturday night. They didn't have church on Saturday night. So that's the devil's night. So uh, I guess he took it. But uh, thank you for being in your place on a Saturday night or Saturday afternoon, I guess. We'll see how long into the night we go. But uh, glad to have you here. Take your Bibles. Go to Luke chapter 2, the Gospel of Luke and chapter 2. And we're just going to use this passage as kind of a launching pad uh, to the thought tonight. But Luke chapter 2 is still part of the Christmas story. But uh, a thought here from the latter part of Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 25. The Bible says, Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. It was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, Then took he him up in his arms, and blessed God, and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles, and the glory of thy people in Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Look at verse 33 again. Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. This is the first of many times when people marveled at the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he's just a baby. He's just been born. But all of these things are being spoken of him in fulfillment of the prophecy of the Old Testament that this was the promised Messiah, that this was the one that had been delivered to earth by God to take the sins of the people. And the people marveled at him. And throughout the Gospels, we see many times where Jesus said something or did something and people marveled. For example, in John chapter 7, it says, And the Jews marveled, saying, How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? Again, we talked last night about when he was 12 years old, going up to the temple with his parents, and there he was uh, answering questions from the Scriptures, and the Bible says they marveled. How does this 12-year-old boy know these answers? How does he know the Bible so well? Well, he wrote it, uh, and so that's why he knew it. But they marveled. In Matthew chapter 8, the Bible says, And the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Remember when Jesus calmed the storm? They marveled. How does he have power over creation? How does he have power over the wind, over the seas? They marveled at that power. In Matthew chapter 9, when the devil was cast out, the dumb spake, and the multitudes marveled, saying, it was never so seen in Israel. They had never seen someone be able to have power over the demons of hell and be able to cast this spirit out of this dumb person to where he was now able to speak. They marveled. In Mark chapter 12 and verse 17, Jesus answering, said unto them, Render unto Caesar that which is Caesar, and unto God the things that are God's, And they marveled at him. He said, pay your taxes. (laughs) And they marveled. Really? Do we have to pay all these taxes? They they marveled at that saying. In John chapter 4, remember the story of Jesus, the woman at the well? 
The disciples returned after going to get something to eat. They came back and Jesus is talking with this woman. And the Bible says they marveled that he talked with her. Why? Because the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. What is he doing? Why is he talking to this outcast? Why is he talking to this one that the Jews referred to as dogs? They marveled at him. I love it toward the end of the Gospels as Jesus stood before Pilate. And Pilate's asking him these questions at his trial. And the Bible says, Jesus answered nothing. So Pilate marveled. Even after he was dead, they came back and they told Pilate that he that was crucified on that center cross had already expired. They, they wanted to go break their legs and get them down from the crosses. And Pilate marveled that he was already dead. Over and over again throughout the Gospels, people marveled at the words or the works of the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope we take some time to stop and marvel at what God has done for us. Your salvation is worth some time to marvel. Uh, The goodness of God is worth the time for us just to kind of step back and marvel. As Paul said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. In Ephesians chapter 2, Now in Christ Jesus, ye who are sometime afar off are made nigh by the blood of Jesus Christ. We ought to marvel at that, that God would, would stoop to, to save us as sinners. The word marvel, according to the dictionary, means awed or overwhelmed or struck with wonder, amazed, staggered. Astonished. Now, it's understandable that we, as the creation, would be awed by the Creator. It's understandable that we, as sinners, would be awestruck at a Savior who would love us so much that He would die for us on a cross that we might have eternal life. It's understandable that we, as human flesh, would marvel at a God so great, so powerful. But does our infinite God ever marvel at us? When God looks at us tonight, is He amazed? Is He awestruck? Is He astonished? Staggered? Does God ever marvel when He looks at us? I believe He does. Because in the New Testament, there are two occasions where Jesus marveled. Turn to the first one over in Mark chapter 6. Let's go to Mark chapter 6. And we see the first time when Jesus marveled at some people here in this text. In Mark chapter 6, look at verse number 1. And he went out from thence and came unto his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judah, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, and among his own kin, and in his own house. And he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands on a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled 
because of their unbelief. He marveled because of their unbelief. Jesus looked at this crowd of people in Mark chapter 6, and He marveled at their skeptical fear. There was skepticism about his words. In verse number 2, he begins to speak. He begins to teach in the synagogue. And the Bible says, Many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? Where did he get this wisdom? There was a, a, a skepticism toward his words. And then there was a skepticism toward his works. In the latter part of verse 2, and That even such mighty works are wrought by his hands. And Jesus marvels because of their hesitancy toward his promises. Uh, he, he was fulfilling all of the promises of the Old Testament. He was doing exactly what they said uh, in the Old Testament that he would do. And he was marveling at the fact that they were not understanding that God keeps his promises. That God doesn't lie. That God is a God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is he. Look, when God says something, that's what he means. Now, sometimes we make a promise and we might forget or, or we might decide intentionally not to keep the promise, but that's not our God. When God promises, when God says, this is what I'm going to do, God always does it. But here was a skeptical fear. They were skeptical toward his promises. I asked the men this morning in the breakfast, what promises are we skeptical about? The Bible says, yea, and all the promises of God are in him, yea, and in him, Amen. And so when we say, well, I don't know if God can do that. I don't know if God can save my neighbor. I don't know if, you know, that can really happen. We cause Jesus Christ to marvel when we have an unbelief. But that hesitancy towards God's promises brings a hindrance to God's power. Did you notice it there in verse number Five, he could there do no mighty work. Save he laid his hands on a few sick folk and healed them, and he marveled because of their unbelief. Jesus couldn't do much there because of their lack of faith. In Matthew chapter uh, uh, 13 and verse 58, he could do not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Well, wouldn't it be a tragedy for God to look at Shadow Mountain Baptist Church tonight and say, you know, I want to I wanna bless that church. I want to use that church. I want to start something that... No, let's move on. There's no faith there. Well, wouldn't it be a sad thing if God looked at my life or your life and said, boy, I like to use that fellow. I like to use that gal. I, I want to use that. No, no, let's find somebody else. There's no faith there. What a sad thing that God would would not be able to do mighty works in our lives or our families or our church or our nation because of our unbelief. What does God want to do that He won't be able to do this year because of our unbelief? There's an interesting story in 2 Kings chapter 7. There was a famine in Israel. And this famine had hit so hard that it didn't matter how much money you had, there was nothing to buy. Uh, kind of like uh, uh, the empty shelves in grocery stores or something, I guess. You know, a supply chain shortage. But there, there just wasn't any food. And it didn't matter if you had money or not. There was no food. And the Bible says in, in, in verse 1, Then Elisha said, Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, 
tomorrow, at this time, shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel, which is practically nothing, and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. So here's this this situation. There's no food. It doesn't matter what you have. You can't obtain something to eat. And the prophet stands up and says, Thus saith the Lord, Tomorrow, about this time, you'll be able to buy flour, you'll be able to buy barley for a shekel. And the Bible says, Then a Lord, on whose hand the king leaned. So, here's this government official, apparently. Right? Here's this cabinet member. This Lord, small letter L, this Lord upon whom the king leaned. So here's, here's somebody that was giving advice to the king, perhaps, whatever. This Lord says, He answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? In other words, he said, This is impossible. Who are you? <laughs> right? What are you talking about? There is no food. There is no food coming. There's nothing here. We're all going to starve to death. And the prophet says, no, tomorrow about this time, there'll be plenty of food. And the guy says, it's impossible. If God put windows in the sky and poured it out from up there, we wouldn't have enough. Verse 2, and he, Elisha, said, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but thou shalt not eat thereof. He looked at this government official, and he said, I'm telling you, God keeps his promises. And you're going to see it with your own eyes, but you're not going to be a part of it. And the Bible says in the end of that chapter, the next day, the Syrians fled their cities. The nation of Israel went in, confiscated all of their spoil, and The next day, about the same time the prophet had made the prophecy, two measures of barley, one measure of flour were sold for a shekel. And the king's lord saw it. But if you read the end of the chapter, the people trod him underfoot that he died. Now I think about that. We don't think unbelief is a terrible sin. Certainly not not like murder. And not like maybe even lying. But here was a man, because of his unbelief, God said, sorry, you're out of here. I'm removing you. What a sad thing today that we could see the miracles of God, but we miss them because of unbelief. Is God marveling tonight at our unbelief? Well, let's turn to the other passage. Let's go to Luke chapter 7, because there's another chapter in the Bible where Jesus marveled at a man. And this is a, this is a good marvel in Luke chapter 7. I love this story. Luke chapter 7, and starting in verse 1, it says, Now when he had ended all these sayings in the audience of the people, he entered into Capernaum, and a certain centurion's servant, who was dear unto him, was sick and ready to die. And when he heard of Jesus... He sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. 
When they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he, this centurion, was worthy for him that he should do this. For he loveth our nation, hath built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them. And when he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldst enter under my roof. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. For I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers, and I say unto one, Go, and he goeth, and to another come, and he cometh, and to my servant do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turned him about, and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And they that were sent, returning to the house, found the servant whole that had been sick. So get the context here. Here's this centurion. He's got a servant who he loves. He's about to die. He hears of Jesus. And so he sends some of his servants to Jesus to tell him that he needs his help. And the servants come to Jesus and they, they, they tell him what's going on here. And they said, Lord, he really is worthy of your attention. I mean, this man has, he loves our nation. He's built us a synagogue. By the way, he wasn't a Jew. But he built the Jews a synagogue. A pretty good philanthropist there, right? He, he built another religion, their, their house of worship. And so this man was obviously a good man. He, he was a man that was well-respected. He had integrity and so on. And, and, and the Bible says, they, they said, Jesus, he's, he's worthy of your attention. I know you're busy, but, but this guy needs your help. And, and I know he'd appreciate it. So Jesus goes with him. But before he gets to the house, the centurion has some, doubt, he has some second thoughts. And he says, you know, he's, I'm not worthy for him to come to my house. He doesn't need to come to my house. In fact, he could, just, he could just speak the word from where he's at. I'm not worthy to go out and even talk to him. In fact, we don't know if this centurion and Jesus ever met. He said, I'm not worthy to go see him. He's not, I'm not worthy for him to come into my house. He said, tell him, if he just spoke the word, I know he could heal my servant. And Jesus said, I've never seen such great faith. And he marveled. Nothing attracts God to us any more than our faith. Nothing gets God's attention any more in in our life than our faith. Why? Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so when our faith is exhibited, God's attention is aroused. Now, Jesus had seen faith before. What caused him to marvel at this man's faith? Jesus had seen others with with great faith, but this time it says he marveled at this faith. Why? Well, I believe it was preceded by a curious humility. This centurion had some great credentials. This centurion was worthy of some help from Jesus. As I said, he loved his nation. He had built a synagogue. He had done all these great things. But then he said, no. I'm not worthy to be in the presence of Jesus. There was a curious humility here. Let me ask you something. Do we demand an answer to prayer because of who we are? Well, Lord, I you know, I I went to church this week. I mean, more than normal. I went Friday night. I went Saturday night. Now, Lord, 
surely my team will win tomorrow, right? <laughs> Have you ever done that? You ever you ever missed a game on television because you went to church and the whole time you're there saying, Lord, you've you got to bless my team. I mean, I, I could have stayed home and watched that, but I came to church. Lord, surely, you know, that my team's going to win. Do you ever make demands on God because of who we are? This guy could have done that. He could have said, hey, Lord, I'm, I'm worthy of your attention. I'm, I'm worthy of an answer to prayer here. I'm worthy. That's what his servants said about him. But this, this man, when it came down to it, he said, no, no, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy for him to come to my house. I'm not worthy to go talk to him. I, I'm not worthy to be in his presence. This was a curious humility. We talked about humility last night. But have you noticed that in the Bible, humility is a do-it-yourself project? Now, God can humble me. God can humble you. He has ways to do that. Probably all of us have, at some point have been humbled by God. But God says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray. A curious humility. Oh, God loves the sacrifices of a broken and a contrite spirit. If we want God's blessings, we must stay broken. If we want God's miracles, we must stay modest. If we want the impossible, then we must stay insignificant. His faith was preceded by a curious humility, but notice also it was partnered with a confident hope. Now, hope in the Bible is a little different than the hope we often say or use or think. We say, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow, or I I hope, you know, I get a raise at work, or, you know, we, we use hope in that context. But the Bible talks about hope as a confident expectation. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So are we hoping Jesus comes back? No, we know He's coming back. It's a confident expectation. It could happen at any second. We know it's going to happen. You see, hope is not, well, man, I hope this works out. I hope I, I hope this happens. No, with God, hope is a confident expectation. And this man said, just speak the word, Lord, and it'll be so. Just say the word, Lord, and you can heal my servant. And sure enough, that's exactly what God did. Now, faith in practice sometimes looks quite different than faith in theory. Sometimes, you know, we're asked, do you have faith? Well, yeah, I have faith. I mean, I got saved by faith. I'm supposed to live by faith. I'm supposed to walk by faith. I I give by faith. I mean, I'm supposed to do everything by faith. Yes, I have faith. But sometimes faith in theory looks completely different than faith in practice. Several years ago, there in the college, we we have special speakers come in every week. We have chapel every day. And, and uh, so we typically bring in... Uh, two speakers from the outside uh, every week, and then we use some of our own staff to preach and so on in these chapels. Well, there was a period of about three weeks where every single speaker, this was not planned, but every single speaker for 15 days in a row preached on faith. It, it, was, it became the joke on campus. Let's go to chapel. We're going to hear another message on faith. And, and, and they used different texts, they had different approaches to it, but every day it just seemed like God was trying to teach us something about faith. 
And, and we were all kind of thinking, okay, Lord, what are we not learning yet? Because we seem to, we seem to need more instruction here. And it was kind of, it was kind of curious and interesting. And, and so every day we're hearing these messages on faith. Well, we had a girl in the college at that time. Her name was Chrissy. And I didn't, I didn't know her well. She was in her second year. She had played volleyball her freshman year, but was not playing her sophomore year. And I had had a conversation with her one day in the hallway in between classes. And I, I stopped and I said, Chrissy, I notice you're not playing volleyball this year. And uh, she kind of, uh, you know, ducked her head. She said, yeah, I have to work a little bit more this year. And I just, I just can't make it. I can't make it work. And I said, well, I understand. I, I understand. And I and, uh, hope you can get caught up and and maybe you can play again next year. And we had a very brief conversation. What I didn't know was that her mom had cancer and had no insurance and was facing all of these treatments without any money. And so Chrissy had two jobs. And she was working two 30-hour-a-week jobs, 60 hours a week plus going to school full-time. And she was taking one check every week and putting it on her school bill. She was taking the other check, sending it home to her mom to try to help put a dent in these payments for her treatment. I didn't know that. Had I known it at that time, I would have stepped in and done something about it. I didn't know. Well, we're hearing these messages on faith. And... I'm required to sit on the platform during chapel, and my chair is sort of angled toward the pulpit, and, and uh, so in my eye line was Chrissy. She always sat in the same place in chapel, and, and if I just looked up and didn't look at the preacher, if I looked up, I, I, I'd always see Chrissy. And, and Chrissy, during that three weeks of message on faith, she was, just, she was just taking it in. You can tell when somebody's just drinking it in, and she was just sitting there writing notes and just eager to hear every word. When the invitation was given, as soon as it was given, Chrissy would slip out of her place, come to the altar, and every day she'd kneel at that altar and just weep. And of course, after the fact, it all made sense. She was coming and by faith claiming God's promises to, to provide and to heal her mom and all these things, just acting on faith. During that process, one day she came in and told me that one of her uncles had passed away up in Oregon and asked me if I would pray for her family, as many of them were not saved. And I said, well, Chrissy, are you going to get to go up for the funeral? I said, Again, I still did not know all that was going on in her life, but I said, Chrissy, are you going to go to the funeral? And she said, uh, no, I, I'd like to because I'd, I'd like to be a witness to my family, but she said, I, I, I can't afford a plane ticket. I said, Chrissy, I want you to go back to the dorm. I want you to pack your bags and get back over here in about an hour. I'll have a plane ticket for you. You're going to go to that funeral. You need to be there. Your family needs you. And your lost loved ones need to see your testimony and hear the gospel. And you may be the only one that can give it to them. So she went back. She got ready. I got a plane ticket for her. And we took her to the airport. And she flew to Oregon. And she came back a couple days later. And she had led two of her family members to Christ. We were excited about that. Well, one day, at the end of this 15-day journey through faith, 
I was walking into chapel one day, and Dr. Weaver was leading the singing that day, and he was right in front of me, and we were, we were headed out onto the platform. And just before we went through the door, he, he turned around, as only Dr. Weaver can do, kind of spur-of-the-moment things, and he, he slapped an envelope on my Bible, and he said, Oh, by the way, you need to read this. It's from Chrissy. And he walks on the platform to lead the first song. Well, I'm, I'm right behind him, and now I've got this, this note on my Bible. And that's like, you know, the week before Christmas. You know, you're trying to think, well, what's in the note, you know? But I try to be a good example in chapel. I try to sing, I try to sing when they're supposed to sing. I try to listen to announcements. But I, I'm curious about this note, you know? And so I think it was during prayer I, I slipped it out of the envelope and kind of opened it there, you know? And, and so during the course of the next song, I'm, I'm kind of I'm, I'm looking at this thing. And Chrissy had gotten a phone call that morning from a lawyer. Unbeknownst to her and really any of her family, that uncle that she had gone to the funeral to attend was wealthy and had left a huge amount of money to Chrissy and her mom. Well over a million dollars to pay for all of the treatments and for the rest of Chrissy's college education. I'm standing there thinking, can I get a little for the plane ticket, you know? (laughs) I was just floored by it. Well, I'm watching Chrissy through that sermon, and and the guy's preaching on faith like normal, and, and I'm looking at her, and she's just weeping. When the invitation was given, she's down the aisle on her knees. But now, today, she's not weeping tears of, of desperation. She's weeping tears of joy and just thanking God. Well, numbers of kids came and they all went back to their seat. So I went to the pulpit and I said, Chrissy, get up here. Come on, get up here. I've read the note. I want everybody to hear this. And Chrissy got up and through her tears told the story, much of which... The detail, I didn't even know how God had provided through faith. Well, we all rejoiced. I mean, the students applauded and thanked God, you know, for this wonderful answer to prayer in Chrissy's life. And, and uh, so everybody went on to class. And I had a class. And I went to my class. I came back about an hour and a half later to my office after class. And I came up the stairs. And we got about halfway up the stairs. And there was a girl sitting at the top of the stairs. Her name was Joanna. Now, Joanna was a uh, girl that was, um, um, to say it kindly, a pessimist. The glass was always half empty, never half full, always half empty. I mean, she always looked at things negatively. And she was always behind, always behind on her projects, always late to class, never on time with her school bill, never had anything, never, never took care of herself, kind of, kind of sloppy in a sense, and, and just one of those girls that didn't make a lot of friends and, and, and just struggled in college. And she's like in her junior year, and, and uh, you're wondering if she's going to make it, and, and just such negativity in her life. Well, I came about halfway up the stairs, and she's at the top, and when she saw me, she jumped out of that chair. And she started jumping up and down, Brother Gatch, Brother Gatch. And I said, Joanna, please, please calm down. Don't have a heart attack here. What's going on? She said, Brother Gatch, i got to talk to you. i got to talk to you. I said, okay, come on in. I'm opening my door. I said, come on in. She came to my office. I sat down. She, I said, have a seat. She said, no, I can't sit down. And she leaned over my desk. She said, Brother Gatch, Chrissy's testimony, Chrissy's testimony. I said, yeah, wasn't that amazing? 
She said, after everybody left, I didn't have a class. And so, after everybody left, I went to the altar. And I said, Lord, I need to have faith. I need to have faith. And she said, Brother Getz, I spent about 30 minutes at the altar just begging God to increase my faith. She said, afterwards, I got up, and I was walking back to the dorm, and I thought, well, I might as well check my mail. She stopped at the post office, went in there, and here was a letter with enough money inside to pay the rest of her school bill for that year. She showed me the check, and she said, Brother Gatch, it's about faith. we got to have faith. I said, Joanna, we've been hearing 15 sermons for the last three weeks. Where have you been? But see... Faith in theory is different than faith in practice. We know what faith is. We know we're supposed to have faith. We're supposed to trust God, but do we? By the way, Joanna's in the ministry today. Chrissy's in the ministry today, serving God wonderfully with their families. Because with faith, it's possible to please God. Does Jesus marvel? At yours. Does he step back and say, wow. I'm not seeing that kind of faith anywhere in the world, but right there. Wow. Boy, can God bless that faith. Or does God look at us tonight and say, why won't they trust me? I mean, I said I would. Why, Why can't they just trust me? Is God astonished? Is he staggered? And the fact that we, our, our lives are filled with unbelief, Jesus marveled. He's probably marveling tonight at either our faith or our lack of it. Let's pray together. Father, may we, as those disciples of old, pray, increase my faith, elongate my faith. Lord, I had faith to get saved. And Lord, if I had faith that you could take away every sin and give me a home in heaven, then surely I can have faith to believe that you can work in my family, that you can provide my physical and financial and emotional and spiritual needs. Lord, if you could command the wind to stop blowing and the waves to stop lashing against a boat, Lord, there's nothing impossible for you. And I pray tonight, that you would marvel at our faith. May you look at Shadow Mountain Baptist Church and see people of great faith. And I pray that you'd bless our families and bless our church and bless these ministries that we're uh, trying to accomplish because of our faith. Help us to walk by that faith and not by our sight. As heads are bowed tonight, let's stand and we'll have the piano play a verse or two. Perhaps tonight, you want to just bow for a moment and say, Lord, increase my faith. I don't want you to marvel at my unbelief. Why don't you pray a prayer tonight that only God can answer? Sometimes I think we pray prayers that if God doesn't come through, we got a plan B. We'll figure it out some other way. You need to pray some prayers that only God can answer. Only he can do. Some impossible prayers. 
Remember when Elijah told Elisha, what is it that you want? And Elisha said, I want a double portion of your spirit, God's spirit upon my life. And Elijah said, you've asked a hard thing. Have you ever asked for a hard thing? By the way, that that desire of Elijah was granted. He did twice as many miracles as Elijah did. God responds to faith. Ask a hard thing tonight. Ask an impossible thing. Something that's beyond what you can ask or think. He's able to do it.